Welcome to the Year of Faith Discussion Series, presented by the Most Reverend Richard Lennon, Bishop of the Cleveland Catholic Diocese. This series is presented in concert with the Holy Father's request that there be opportunities for the faithful to deepen their appreciation and their knowledge of church teaching. From the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist in downtown Cleveland, Bishop Lennon speaks to the documents of the Second Vatican Council. Today's document is the Decree on the Mission Activity of the Church. Good afternoon, everyone. Today we continue our reflection on the missionary activity of the church. We began last week by considering the initial thrust of it shortly after the the ascension of our Lord into heaven and what it was like in those first three, three and a half centuries. Today I'd like to have a more general conversation regarding the missionary activity of the church, that the church from fairly early on recognized that for the missionary work of the church to bear fruit in the long haul, one had to recognize that there was a real process, a process of an individual being exposed to the reality of God and to be strengthened by the community who believes in God that then gives the impulse to a person to look into what is happening. That it is not something notwithstanding what happened to St. Paul, but that was kind of unique, getting knocked off a horse. But for the ordinary person, the process is gradual. The whole concept of conversion from a life that does not recognize God to a life that God is one's all is a gigantic step. When we look at what happens in parishes, most parishes, as we know, have the RCIA program. And the RCIA program is a is an opportunity for those who have been touched through the missionary work of the church to come forward and to reflect on this reality that has has excited them, interested them, and now they're looking into it. And so in most parishes in the early fall, there is an opportunity of having people come to the church, the parish hall, the parish center, and it is framed as a period of inquiry. No, no hard and fast, you know, uh, commitments are made. It's an openness with no pressure. One thing, remember when we talked about the Declaration on Religious Freedom and the church talked so much in that document that 
there's to be no pressure on anyone to follow a certain faith? Well, the church very strongly incorporates that into missionary activity. And right now I want to talk about missionary activity here in the United States, for example, which some of the people who are who are interested are non-believers. And some are Christians, but who are looking to the Catholic Church as possibly offering more. But the general principle is that there is to be no force, no enticement. Back a number of years ago, Cardinal Law asked me to visit with an Episcopalian priest and his wife and 43 other Episcopalians who wanted to become Catholic. And so for four months, every Sunday, I went and I met with these 45 individuals. We talked about what it meant to go through a conversion experience. What does that entail? What is at the very heart of it? I would have individual conversations with each of the 45 people, but after four months, we then came to a point where some decisions had to be made by them, not by me, by them. And 16 of the people said, Bishop, I mean, Father, we don't have the right intention. They were trying to leave the Anglican Church. But conversion is conversion to something else. And they weren't there yet. They were struggling, but they weren't ready to say, I am motivated by my love to be and my desire to be a Catholic, they were at the state. They know uh, they knew they didn't want to be Episcopalian. So, 29 people continued. 29 people continued the journey that lasted a whole year. We had the the uh, inquiry, and then we had the catechumenate where it not only was our talking about belief, but also reflecting on the scriptures to actually see the way of Christ. What was it that Christ was inviting people to to be on? And we would encourage people during the next week to take the lesson and to incorporate, and we'd have conversations about their spiritual growth and development. It was a a whole package, because none of us are just intellect. None of us are just all feeling. We have a human side that has thinking, learning, and profiting from that but also feelings, feelings of being loved, feelings of being 
belonging to something, to someone. And it's that sensitivity that helps that process. Here, in our church, in our cathedral, the first Sunday of Lent each year, in the afternoon, we have two big services. We fill the church with those who want to become Catholic. And for those who are not baptized, they become the elect. The ones who are going to be received into the church, God willing, at the Easter Vigil. The others who are already Christian, so they already share that's a lot in common with us, they receive affirmation of their desire for full communion. Both groups seeking more, a little bit different, but many things in common. And then, at the Easter Vigil, the elect are received into full communion, and those who are receiving to come in as a baptized person, they receive their confirmation and their first Holy Communion. It isn't over. The church then has another period of time called the mystagogia, where people are invited, those who have gone through this, they're invited to again relook, enrich their understanding of it. We're dealing with the mystery of God's having chosen us. And our humble response, how we give ourselves to God. To be truthful, that's our lifelong project. But in the process of conversion, the missionary experience, there is an intensity to the time. There is an intensity of our investing ourselves, not just learning, but living. Remember, learning is important, but doing is virtuous. It's embracing what we have learned in the way we love God, we love our neighbor, the way we carry out our duties in life, animated by the church's sharing the revelation of God with us. The document makes a big part of the document is on this, that the work of the, of the church is slow and steady so that someone is growing into a way of life and it becomes more and more theirs. For example, to give an idea, a person full of love and enthusiasm, shortly after Easter, they say, I'd like to be a priest. I'd like to be a nun. The church says, we don't accept people as neophytes. They're still learning. One time, 
again, you know, I mean, I can only talk about some of the examples in my own life that I've experienced. Um, there was a Japanese fellow. He was born and brought up in Japan. His parents were Presbyterian ministers. He was raised as a Presbyterian. He, um, he then became an Anglican and became an Anglican priest. And then he decided he wanted to become a Catholic. And, um, and he was received into the church at one of the parishes. So I got a call. And the cardinal's on the other end. Richard, I've got great news. We have an Episcopalian who became a Catholic last week, and he wants to become a priest. I'm sending him down, and you take him, and next year I'll ordain him. I said, well, your eminence, it'll be three years from now. No, Richard, you didn't hear me. It's going to be next May. I said, it's not going to be next May. So he hung up the phone. (laughs) And of course, whenever he did that, you know, God love him, he would always call back and say, you're not offended, are you? (laughs) But anyway, life goes on. So, you know, he did bring it up again. I said, he's going to stay for three years. The day, the, you know, the week before he was ordained a priest, he stayed the three years. But he said to me, you should have asked for four or five. Now, he, he very much wanted to become a priest. That wasn't the problem. But he knew he was still growing into the way of faith. It isn't something that, you know, you have a good night and, oh, I'm all ready. It's more profound than that. And if anything, this document shows tremendous insight into the reality, the spiritual journey that people have and how the church is there to support them, the church is there to lead them, to comfort them, to bring them to the point of making the step, but then continuing with them. You just don't say, well, they made it. All done. No, no, that, that's not the process. And so the main part of today's thoughts that, you know, I want to, uh, you know, impress on you is that the missionary work of the church, it has gone through many, div- uh, you know, evolutions over the years. The present document is very clear that it's careful, it's steady, And there is support all the way through it. In this document also, it highlights the relationship between what we call missionary territory and the established countries that have been Christian for centuries. For example... There are certain countries, say, in the Far East that, you know, you know, Catholicism, Christianity is relatively new. You know, it's only a few generations old. And the church very much is, is emphasizing that those newer churches, they are churches because there's a bishop, there's priests, there's religious, the deacons, and there's laity, 
but they're still not only individually, but corporately. Because remember, our faith is not just about me. It's about us, the people of God. We don't do this whole thing of religion on one's own. We're part of a faith community. St. Paul uses this term many, many times. It's a beautiful term. The household of faith. A household has more than one person in it. The vision is that there's a, a group. There's a group of folk that belong in this enterprise. And that those young churches are encouraged to learn from the ones that have been there for many, many years, centuries. Catholicism came to our country in the 1500s. And then in the 1900s, I mean in the 1800s, we had a tremendous influx of of Catholics. And they brought their own priests, they brought their own religious women, they brought uh, brothers to teach in uh, high schools. All of that was happening. 1908, Rome declared the United States was no longer a mission country. Now, they had had Catholicism here for over 300 years. But there's a developing maturity, not only for the person, but for the group. Because now the church is going to look to the United States to help the other missionary countries. And so, for example, in 1911, three years after that declaration, the American Foreign Mission Society was founded. That's the formal name of Miranol. Miranol was founded. And they started to receive vocations, not for the United States, to go to Japan and China and Korea. That's where they went. Religious women were received to go to those places. Why? Because we were no longer a mission country. It's our responsibility to now share what we have with others. And so you would have, going on in a parish, you would have, for example, say you had the Dominican nuns who were teaching. So the priests in the parish are encouraging young men to become priests of the Diocese of Cleveland. The nuns are in the school encouraging those young men to become Dominican priests so they can go uh, to Pakistan. And the church flourished. Young men were choosing, you know, their vocation was to be here, and others, their vocation was to reach out to the world. And so the church is looking for those established countries to not only take care of themselves but to take care of others. Because, see, they benefited from the other countries, you know, like France helped the United States. Germany 
help the United States. Hungary helped the United States. And now it was the time for America to do the same thing. And so in this document, the last chapter very much stresses this whole idea that we are involved, we as Americans, we have a perspective. We are not a mission country. And with that comes some responsibilities. If we were in Korea, we would be a mission country. And that means we need to learn from the others and we need to solidify what's going on here so that our faith maturity is progressing in the right direction. So that we, in turn, in Korea, are able to take on some responsibilities. For example, in May, I ordained a number of men here. Four of them, born and brought up here in Cleveland. The fifth one was from Korea. The bishop sent him here to be prepared to be a priest. The bishop came for the Mass, and his his young man was ordained a priest. Two days later, the bishop got on a plane and went to Bolivia to visit seven of his priests who are now in Bolivia ministering to the Bolivians, not to Koreans. Why? Because they're getting ready to become a full-fledged country that has responsibilities to others. The story is wonderful how, in God's plan, as we are converted, you know, the missionary work, how it goes through the stages, reaching maturity, and then it begins that we do it for others. You've been listening to a discussion of the documents of the Second Vatican Council as part of the Year of Faith discussion series presented by the Most Reverend Richard Lennon, Bishop of the Diocese of Cleveland. This series is presented in concert with the Holy Father's request that there be opportunities for the faithful to deepen their appreciation and their knowledge of church teaching during this special Year of Faith. To watch all the videos in this series, go to our website, dioceseofcleveland.org slash year of faith. Thank you for listening.
Thank you.